Irving, Virginia. From asphalt to dirt. From drag racing to road courses. It's all right here. In Racing, Virginia. I'm Brandon Brown, and you're listening to episode number 110 of the Racing Virginia podcast. Normally, you would hear, I'm Dave C. Right ahead of that, well, Dave, on this Labor Day week, weekend, whatever you want to call it, he's spending some time with the family. So I am flying solo on the Racing Virginia podcast this week, and we have a great show for you just exactly like we always do. We have the legendary Jeff Burton on the show today. Jeff is going to talk about his racing career here in Racing Virginia, as well as Time on TV, that great Darlington race that we saw on Sunday night in the Southern 500, and a whole lot more racing stories. We've had some great racing stories throughout the 2021 season here in Racing Virginia, and sadly... Uh, the racing is coming to a close as the temperatures cool off. So do the tracks. And we've been crowning champions at South Boston, for example. Peyton Sellers wrapped up his track championship with a win. And Peyton is well on his way to accomplishing another national championship. If he can just do what he has been doing, and that's running up front in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. Another thing that happened at South Boston this past weekend was the kickoff of the semi-retirement of Kathy Rice. Kathy, who has been the longtime face of South Boston Speedway. If you've seen South Boston social media channels over the past week or so, you've seen the video shout outs from the likes of Chris Rice and Elliot Sadler and others thanking her for her great contributions to the, the to motorsports, to South Boston, the town, the racetrack and everything that she's done. And, and we here at Racing Virginia obviously want to thank her as well. She got to wait, wave the green flag for the late model feature that night. Which is really cool to see. Uh, check out South Boston social media for for this past weekend and a little bit beyond. And it's been really cool to see all of the thanks and the well wishes that that she's been given. So thank you again, Kathy, for everything that you've done and will continue to do, obviously, for motorsports here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. As the season winds down here in Racing Virginia, go to our website, check out the tracks tab and if you want to see where we are in the schedule for any track here in the state of virginia it's all right there for you some of your last opportunities this year to see some great racing no matter what corner of the state you're in check out those schedules head to a racetrack before 2021 ends we now turn our focus to one of the biggest race weekends in the entire state 
in the entire year. And that, of course, is Richmond Raceway Race Weekend, September 10th and 11th. That's this Friday and Saturday. We are ready to rock at the action track America's premier short track. We're going to have the NASCAR playoffs under the lights on Saturday night. But man, that is that is not all. (laughs) And I'm so excited because I'm going to be going to each and every one of these races on Friday night. The Wheelin Modified Tour is back. The Virginia is for racing lovers. 150 Friday night under the lights, 7 p.m., kicking off the 75th anniversary celebration at Richmond Raceway. I cannot wait because I haven't seen the Modifieds at Richmond before. And if you hadn't either, this is, this is your opportunity to go. The, the weekend will actually kick off over at Virginia Credit Union Live, the, the concert venue, amphitheater right there on site. And Cody Jinks is playing a concert on Thursday night. So if you're camping, come on over to the concert. If you're not camping, come on over to the concert and we'll be having a good time there. And then on to Saturday. Now, Saturday is a double header. The Xfinity Series Go Bowling 250 rolls off at 2.30 p.m. But that means Dale Jr. is making his return to a race car. He'll be in that number eight for junior motorsports driving in the Xfinity series race. And if you remember a couple of years ago, Dale almost won that Xfinity series race. He was doing one of his one-offs as he does every year. And he almost won the race. If it wasn't for a late caution and a, and a bad pit stop, he would have won that race. So I wouldn't mind seeing Dale jr. Back in victory lane. And I know a lot of you wouldn't either. And after that, It is the big show, 400 laps around that three-quarter mile D-shaped oval under the lights. The Federated Auto Parts 400 salute to first responders, 7.30 p.m. And, And what else can you say? It's the NASCAR playoffs. But this will be a special remembrance. You heard it in the name of the race, the salute to first responders. This is on September 11th, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And I know the track has a lot to have that they've planned to honor these first responders and honor the memories of everyone who was lost on 9-11. If you remember back in 2002, the commemoration that the track did to honor those folks a year after that, I can only imagine that this is going to rival that in in how special they're going to make this night feel to honor all of those who are lost in 9-11. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Everyone should come out to see it. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there as a race fan. You know, some I used to work at Richmond Raceway and I would be there from morning till night doing social media and, and other things. I'm going to be there as a race fan. I'm going to go and see two races on Saturday. I'm going to the mods on Friday night and I will actually be at the concert too. So uh, no reason y'all can't be there. We can't wait to see you out there. And if you see me running around, if you know what it look like, uh, come say hello because it will be something really cool. Now, I think we should talk to somebody who knows Richmond Raceway even more than I do. So let's go to the phone lines.
Congratulations, what a finish. He is the son of South Boston, Virginia, a 21-time NASCAR Cup Series winner. Of course, a winner at both Martinsville and Richmond in the NASCAR Cup Series and a member of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. We're talking about none other than Jeff Burton. Jeff, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, especially after that fantastic race that we saw on Sunday night, uh, Southern 500. Darlington always produces some fantastic finishes, and this one was no exception. Tell us your view of that uh, that final lap and that attempt for the win from Kyle Larson. Well, I had be, to be honest, I had kind of left the race a little bit. I thought it was pretty much over going down the back straightaway, and I started looking at our time and the scoring that we have, and looking at, you know, what was the final points were going to look like and who, who had gotten a big night and who had gotten hurt. And I looked, glanced up, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> you know, I didn't know. Initially, I thought that Hamlin had some kind of problem. And, um, but then it took me just a second to realize what was going on. But initially, I thought, you know, in, 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 the, in the back of my head, in the back of my mind, when they were going through one and two, I was thinking about Larson at Pocono on the last lap. Looked like the race was over. He was going to easily win it. He blew a left front tire. And that was kind of in the back of my mind. And then I look up and this, whatever was going on was going on. And I'm thinking, well, Hamlin just had a problem. And uh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, we've seen that before. Um, it's kind of funny. My son actually on a Saturday morning, he and I were talking at Darlington and we were standing looking at turns three and four. And he asked me, he said, I wonder if on like the last lap you could just video game that thing and just run wide open <laughs> against the wall. And I'm like, no, that wouldn't work. And uh, but if Hamlin, if Hamlin would have been a foot lower, Larson would have gotten on his outside. I don't know what would happen after that, but he he could have gotten on his outside. Yeah, he he certainly could have. And and uh, talking yeah about your son Harrison, Harrison he had the chance to to do something potentially similar a day before. We'll get into all that first. Uh, I wanted to go into uh, to jump into your racing history because you've got a lot of it, and we'll kind of build up towards uh, last uh, last night and as well as uh, Richmond Raceway. But I was listening to your interview in the Dale Jr. Download, and it absolutely phenomenal stuff from you and Dale. I mean, I think Dale's one of the best interviewers, if not the best in the sport, and your conversation was great. So I won't try to duplicate many, if at all, any of that stuff because it was great. But I want you to, to briefly take us into your start in racing here in Racing Virginia, uh, specifically your go-karts and how you got into that and then the decision to, hey, I might have something uh, and be able to want to race late models and, and so forth. Well, it all starts with my dad. My dad uh, is a very competitive person. He, uh, he got my, my oldest brother Ward, he got Ward into go-karting and then Brian followed pretty quickly after, and then my dad was racing as well. And so they were doing it and it looked fun. And I'm like, well, I want to do it too. And then when I got old enough, you know, they, they, uh, you know, my dad, you know, let me race as well. And then it got where there was too many of us and only one of him and he decided <laughs> he couldn't drive anymore because it just wasn't, it wasn't enough time at the track, you know, to, 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 you know, help us and do what we were doing. And he continued to race. And, uh, so we, I raced for quite a while and, and 
both my brothers, as they got older, I'm the youngest of three. Both my brothers got older, you know, they started, you know, on to other things. And, and my dad just ended up being my dad and I racing for the last couple of years. And, and, um, and I just, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And, but I just wanted to continue in racing. It, 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 and obviously I wanted to be a driver, but I was okay if that didn't work out. I was, you know, I, I went to work for Jay Hedgecock out of high school, building race cars and, um, um, learned a tremendous amount from him and went and, uh, Earl and Alan Rice, um, there in South Boston, worked with them for three or four years on late model stuff and had gotten pretty good at that. And, and, you know, had my racing career not have got driving career, not gotten going, then, you know, I was going to go and I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I'd have built race cars or try to work for a team. I don't know, but, but either way, I knew that I wanted to be involved in racing. And fortunately, you know, the driving thing worked and, and I was able to, because that, you know, the driving career has enabled me to do so many other things in the sport. And, and, um, it all, you know, without being able to drive, it would have been more difficult to be involved as many things as I've been involved in. Uh, I may have ultimately been as happy doing something else. I don't know that, but I do know that I've had an extraordinary life and extraordinary opportunities. And a lot of those things came because of, because of driving. Yeah, and I think as a racing fan myself, uh, growing up watching you, I started I started watching the the sport uh, right around in 1992-93, right when you were kind of making your extension into the Cup Series, and that to me was was very memorable because for for many reasons because that was right around the time that the sport was really really taking off. Um, you mentioned about uh, Jay Hedgecock and learning so much from from then and you said in your interview with dale that you built your own race car during the time you were working there i want to tell i want you to tell the the folks that are listening what was that process like how did you find the time what did you do how do you even start to to do that and to build a race car well i didn't know i mean i was pretty ignorant about all of it and and um you know as a kid i would i remember my dad coming home one day and i had taken my motorcycle completely apart and he's like what in the hell have you just done you know and i just i wanted to take it apart just so i could put it back together and i was always mechanically um curious and as i got older and started you know spending more time around race cars i got really interested in what makes them work not the engines um, could kind of I mean, in a weird kind of way could care less about the engine, but I had a just an incredible curiosity about the, the chassis and and you know how how they worked and what changes could you make to them to make them do different things on the racetrack because I could feel those when I was driving them, and I recognized that if I could make my car drive better then I could go faster and I have a better shot of winning. And I'm a very competitive person. My entire family is super competitive. And so that really was the start of it. And, you know, through high school, I, I, my dad had, I don't know if it's crazy or smart, but he, he bought a, he bought a late model and, but he said, you know, he didn't really give me any help. It's kind of like, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't understand how it worked. And 
you know, we didn't know how in depth it was. And it's way more in depth now, now than it was then, but still, but he didn't really give me much help. There was one older gentleman that would come by and he would kind of supervise me as I worked on this car a little bit, but I really had to learn to do it myself. And then that made me want to do it even more. And so, you know, my parents, you know, were only hard about going to college and I just didn't want to go to college because it didn't, it just didn't make sense to me. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want a desk job. I wanted to work in the field. I didn't want to be in an office. And so I went to work for Jay Hedgecock and, um, I didn't, I knew so little, but, but Jay opened his door. And at one time it was Bobby Labonte, it was myself and Jack Sprague, truck racer. We were there all there at the same time. And I just learned, went there knowing nothing. And I left there 18 months later, like this new person, this, and, and it, and then that propelled me into really wanting to know how stuff worked. And ultimately that led me to my cup wins because I won't stand here and say that I was as good of a driver as many guys that I raced with, but I knew my race cars better than most. You know, Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace, those guys were really good race cars and that was my strength as well. And so that curiosity and that excitement about what makes race cars work and how do we make them faster and how do we build them lighter and how do we build them safer and how do we do all that stuff all started with curiosity and it, and it, it worked out because I was around really good people and, and my dad let me do it. You know, like he let me, and that's not really my dad's personality. My dad's kind of a control freak that's very <laughs> confident, but he let me do it. And through that, I learned how not to do a lot of things, made a lot of mistakes, but I also learned how to do, how to do things, um, how the quality that was required, the attention that was required. And that led to, to, to my driving career, but also my life in general. It set a principle in me that I didn't have before that. And, and it seems that that's carried you. You've been successful in, in everything that you've done. It seems like from, from the time that you jumped in a late model till your broadcasting career right now, uh, talking about the highest level of NASCAR and NBC. Going back to South Boston, though, you said you had instant success there. You were winning races at, uh, at Orange County in South Boston. Tell us what it was like racing at South Boston Speedway back in those days. Well, it was it was incredible, and and I and I I had I, the first car I drove was a pure stock Camaro, and I drove a car, and the re- only reason I got to drive it is because the driver went to Victory Lane the week before and hit the guy that won the race. They had had an on track altercation, but well, they threw him out, and they needed a driver, and they had, these, the, the guy that owned it had been reading about me racing go karts in the news in the paper, and he's like, "Well, what did him to do it?" and won the damn first race. I mean, it was like, and then, and so then I uh, ran a few more races and, and then my dad bought that late model and it was, you know, I'm racing against, <laughs> I'm racing, I'm racing against Wayne Patterson, very beggarly. Uh, I mean, so I take all these people that, you know, were so good at, at late model racing and they had tons of laps at those racetracks. And I'm racing against those guys, and I'm in over my head. I'm way in over my head. And, you know, so that first year was really getting me accustomed to how do you, how do, you do this. And then 
Martinsville was the biggest race of the year. And we go to Martinsville and there's like, not, not making this number up, but you know, say 90 cars. It was a lot. I don't know if it was 90, but it was a lot. And we're racing an older chassis and, you know, everybody's got Camaros. And my, I got a Regal. I got a Buick Regal. And I know we need a better car, but it's going to take money to do that. And my dad said, look, if you fake this race, we'll sell this and I'll, we'll build a new car. And we made the race. And so then we, we bought a, a, a new car from Hedgecock. And, and then also Earl and Alan Rice from South Boston, Earl had driven a long time. He and Alan had worked on the car. Earl had worked on it too. And Earl was retiring from driving. And I, we took my equipment, my car to their shop and they would work at night with me. And I worked during the day and, and then it lit off. Then it was like, okay, now we're competing and now we're having a chance to win every week. Uh, cause we took, you know, we took experience. We took Jay's Hedgehog's experience. My, I now learn how to drive and now we're winning and now we are a threat to win every week. And that went over three or four years and that was a lot of fun, a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. Mm. That, uh, that Martinsville race that you talked about, that's, that's the, the, what's now known as the Valley star 300, the late model yeah. race at the, uh, yeah. that's coming up actually here uh, a little bit later this month. What yeah, I'm so old that I remember, like, I don't know that I ran the first one. I think I ran the second one. Gotcha. But I was working on my late model and I heard, I was listening to the radio, to MRN, listening to the race, working on my car, and uh, Clay Earls was a guest on the show, for the, and he announced this race. And I thought, oh my God, I might get to race Martinsville. And it was a huge, it still is a huge deal, but th- that first year when they announced it, it was, it was insane that we might run late models at Martinsville. That I'll be at that race here later this year, and the the mystique and the aura around that is just so. I know they didn't get to have it last year, but there's just something different about that race. If you don't have many 300 lap late model races with a unique format like that, and it's drew it's drawn so many great competitors, including yourself. Yeah, it's a great race. It's it's. Um you know, unfortunately, it's gotten a little bit of a reputation of being a demolition derby. It's such a big race. You know, one thing that the late model stock division, you know, people in this area, you know, it, it's very regional. You know, it's North Carolina, South Carolina. It's very regional, Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get out of that mid-Atlantic, that central mid-Atlantic, it doesn't, they don't have late model stocks anywhere else in the country. And so that makes it very super, super competitive in this region. But the negative to that is they really only have one marquee event mm-hmm. as opposed to like super late models. You've got Winchester 400, you got the snowball derby, you know, you got, you know, many races in super late models that are like big, huge marquee events. And so that race is so big because it stands by itself that it's, it's gotten real aggressive and it's gotten almost to the point of being, you know, it, it, it needs Drivers need to take a step back, and and you know it, it's gotten it's gotten a little rough, <laughs> yeah. a little rough, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a it's been a little crazy uh, lately. Not so much. I think it, a lot of that had to do with uh, the the format and and how yeah. they did things, and I think they got it kind of ironed out for for. The two years ago, I know COVID kind of messed it up last year, but the the race that Josh Berry won a couple years ago was fine. Um, yep. 
Speaking of Martinsville, you, you're, you're having all this success in late models and you all decide to, you want to go Bush Series racing and you make your debut at Martinsville in your mm-hmm. own car. I want to know what that experience, is, experience was like. Was that any, like anything you'd ever experienced before? Well, no, I built that car. You know, I built that car at Hedgecock and, um, you know, you got to understand my perspective is that, and people don't believe me when I say this, but it's true. I never aspired to be a cup driver. I aspired, my loftiest goal was to run late model sportsmen, Bush mm-hmm. Grand National Series, and race against Jack Ingram, Sam Hart, Tommy Ellis, you know, all those guys. That was, that was what I thought would be the pinnacle for me. Never considered running cup. Just didn't, it wasn't in my brain. Even to the point when I first got my cup ride, I was still focused on trying to win an experience. Uh, I wasn't worried about running cup. It just worked out. It just happened. But, but going to Martinsville, racing against the people that I looked up to so much and had so much respect for, a car that I built, you know, uh, or on that, you know, a bunch of late model guys, put this car together and we go race against, you know, our heroes. And that's what it was. And it was, you know, I had gone to the bank and borrowed some money to, to buy, bought two engines. They both blew up. Um, <laughs> it took me forever to pay them off. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Hensley, the Hensley family from Virginia, um, we blew up and we qualified well. I don't remember where we qualified, but it was pretty good. And uh, I want to say it was top 10 and we blew a motor in practice mm-hmm. and we went to Hensley's shop the night before the race and worked most of the night to put one of their engines in our car. And they were right there with us working, you know what I mean? And got us in, got us in a race and, mm-hmm. and, um, just experiences like that in the late model and in the, in the Bush series, which is amazing. And you, you would, you know, then, and we miss this now, we got to find a way to get this back somehow, you know, those guys would come to your track. They would come to South Boston. They would come to Orange County. They would come to your track and race. Mm-hmm. And so they had the advantage because they were really good drivers and they had, they knew their cars, but you had an advantage because you knew the track better than them. And it was fun. I mean, you go, you go race against those guys and it was just a, it was a, it was a magical time in racing, in my opinion. It's something that we've got to strive to get back to. Um, then, it, really quickly before we move, because I've got some definite questions about the, your very first win at Martinsville, but really quickly, what do you think we have to do to get back to that kind of golden era of building from the ground up and, and the roots level? Well, unfortunately, it's a lot of it's money and, and it's become so expensive to, to build and run an Xfinity car the technology that you can't, I don't care what the rules are. You can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. You know, we've opened Pandora's box, um, with engineering. And when engineering came into the sport and it's in late models too, it's in, it's, I mean, if you look at the dirt late model thing now, it's crazy what's going on in dirt late models and the cost of skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. And so it's gotten so expensive to, to run an Xfinity car or even a truck it's very difficult for a South Boston Speedway to host a race and be able to pay enough money mm-hmm. to make it work. 
it's 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 cost. It's 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 too damn expensive. And and I don't know. I don't know how to fix it because you know I watch an Xfinity program. I you know I know the rules mm-hmm. trucks. I know the rules really well. You can't unknow something, and once you know engineering and the advantages to it, you can't unknow it. And it's it's too much of an advantage to ignore. So right. the, the, we've got to find a way to get the cost down. Uh, completely agree, because I, you know personally, I think that that you know, developing that fan base at the ground level and getting fans excited about local short track racing—that's I mean that's the way to do it, right? All, listen, I, I remember, I remember Dale Earnhardt coming to race the Bush race at South Boston Speedway. Mm-hmm. I remember it like it was yesterday. And not only did you have Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt there, you had Tommy Houston, you had Tommy Ellis, you had Jack Ingram, Hall of Famer Jack Ingram. Unfortunately, Reese passed away. Mm-hmm. And you had the who's who of motorsports. And the place was absolutely packed. We did an autograph session. I sat right next to Dale Earnhardt. You know, I was a guy from South Boston, and I sat right next to him. And I mean, it, that was that was crazy. And it was it was what we need. We need more reasons for Cup guys to want to come to local short tracks, and we and Xfinity guys to want to come to local short tracks. And we're we're trying to do that with ARCA, the ARCA series. But quite frankly. You know, all these, they're all kids. Yep. Like, they're all kids. There's no, there's no, you know, jacking room. There's no, there's, it's not how it works anymore. And so that we've lost that connection. And and that comes with the, the schedule too. And I mean, it might be like a chicken and egg thing, but the, the pairing of cup Xfinity trucks at the big tracks you you had a schedule, say in nineteen ninety five, where where they were running at South Boston and Orange County and on all these local short tracks in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. They weren't paired up with a Cup Series. Is there a way that we could go back and and do that again? I, I know it would be a long road, but is there a way we could do that? Well, part of the problem is you know because it's gotten so expensive, you you have to have television mm-hmm. in order to justify the expense. Yep. You know, you, you can no longer have, you know, Ernie's restaurant in South Boston, Virginia sponsor the car. You have to have McDonald's. Yep. <laughs> and and so in order to make it work, you have to have television. And so the problem with that is that it's so expensive to take a full blown network to South Boston Speedway and produce and, and show a race and it costs them a tremendous amount of money. It costs the teams a tremendous amount of money. It's just the cost of everything has gotten out of control. And that's no one's fault. It, it, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, NASCAR is only corporate. Enough. Well, how do you fix it? NASCAR is not the one that said you guys all should have engineering. Right. NASCAR is not the one that said you guys should be using a wind tunnel. NASCAR is not the one that said you guys should be developing simulation. And you can't make rules against it. How do you make a rule that you can't have computer simulation? You can't make a rule that you can't enforce. So even wind tunnel, I, you know, you can say, well, we don't go to the wind tunnel. Okay. Well, they just spend their money on uh, computer fluid dy- dynamics, the CFD programs that mm-hmm. do it without the car being in the tunnel. How much money do you think that costs? So 
that's where we've gotten into a problem is that we have knowledge. We have access to knowledge and competitive people are going to take advantage of that. Right. Um, I'm, well, we could probably talk about this for the next seven hours or so, but we won't do that. I want to go back when apparently you guys didn't have as much knowledge. And I was, and we talked about the broadcast. I was just watching the broadcast of your first, uh, what was then Bush series, but Xfinity series win at Martinsville. I want to know, and I think you had to have seen this, gone back and watched the broadcast, number one of your pass of Robert Presley for the win, but then Kim's reaction to your victory on the broadcast with Benny Parsons. Well, that year was the hardest year of my life. Um, that year was grueling. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a very untypically hot year. Um, myself, Stacy Pereira that races late models mm-hmm. and, uh, has part business. He and I were living in Asheboro working at, at Sam Ard's place. And we had, you know, Sam and Sam's son. And for a while, we had uh, another guy there. He quit because he just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and it was just a, it was just a grueling year. And things didn't go well. It, it uh, you know, I was trying to do things the way that they needed to be done at that time. Sam was doing more to do things the way that they were done back then. Um, you know, and it was just constant conflict. And it just was, it was a horrible year. It was the only time in my year, and I broke my back. I've had concussions. I've broken bones, arms, legs. Woke up in the rescue squad. Woke up in infill care centers, and never once said, "Do I really want to do this?" Mm-hmm. But that year was the year that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. And um, winning that race was bigger than just winning a race. It was okay, that, this is why we do this. This was why, I mean, I was emotionally destroyed. I was physically destroyed. It just was the worst year of my life. And, and, um, and so the win gave me, gave me life. It gave me hope. And that's shallow. And your life should be more than that. But you know what? <laughs> the day after, when I woke up, the day after winning that race, I felt like a new person and it rejuvenated me. And it, it showed me that all that stuff, although I didn't like it, (laughs) all that stuff was for a reason. And it was, it was a test. It was a test. And to win that, when I won that race, it, it immediately was a weight off my shoulders. It was crazy what it felt like. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was a battle. You're, you're battling for your life. That's what it felt like every day. And, you know, if you, things don't work out, like we had sponsor issues, we had money issues, we had all kinds of things. Going on. And, um, not to mention the workload. And so that was, and she knew that. And so Kim, my wife, you know, she knew that. And so when we won, it was more than just a race. And so, and you, you know, she, she does not, you know, she does not hide her emotions and, uh, and she lets you know exactly how she feels. And 
and good and bad. And, and you can see that, you know, her emotion was because of that race was more than what most people realize. You, you won that race and you, then you did some team hopping, I guess you, mm-hmm. you went to the 99 car, you won a race, uh, at actually South Boston with John Jackson. I mean, th- that had to be kind of a, a full circle feeling to you as well. In 91. So that stretch of my career was, was tough. And, and, you know, I, 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 I left Sam's and went to drive for them. And, and we was working, uh, Daryl Bryant was the crew chief and he and I saw the world in completely different ways. And that wasn't a good relationship. So now I've had two years in a row where we didn't have, did not have good relationships and it was hard. Um, and that was the first time that now I'm just a driver. And my, my input was it wasn't wanted. And there, we were doing things that were wrong and I knew they were wrong. And, but no, but no one cared because they didn't, they didn't want my opinion on that. I was just supposed to be the driver. They, they had Tommy Ellis and they got, they got really Tommy Ellis and hired me. Why they ever made that decision? I have no idea. <laughs> But, you know, when people make a change, they go, they go polar opposite a lot of times. Sure. And, you know, Tommy was, Tommy was, worked on the car, built the car, you know, did all that stuff, set the car up, told them what to do, and they didn't want that anymore. And so they hired me just to be the driver, and they hired Daryl to be the crew chief, and it just, you know, we were really fast sometimes, we qualified well sometimes, we won a little bit, but it was not easy. And it was just completely, it was a complete departure for me. Now I'm not working on the car. They just want me to drive. There's things I know we're doing wrong. Nobody cared. And, and, uh, cause they didn't think I knew what I was talking about. And it was, it did not end up working out very well. You, you jumped to, to Phil Martasi's team. You got two wins, uh, at, with that team in the, uh, well then Bush series, uh, 92, 93. I wanted to ask you because you ran your first cup series race at Loudon. Which you know you you'd made debuts at Martinsville and run South Boston a bunch. What made Loudon the 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 race that you wanted to or that that team wanted to put you in to make it your Cup Series debut in ninety three or in ninety two well, I should say. Yeah. So so when I drove uh, when I drove well it would I think it was ninety three right 90, yeah, it was it was ninety three yeah, yeah 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 so so the the two years I drove for them in the Xfinity Series we were really fast but we could not finish races. And we broke so many motors. We had so many engine problems. And come to find out, it was all over an electrical. They were using an electrical system, you know, and it was blowing the motors up. And we, it was, it was infuriating. Like we were mm-hmm. so fast. Gil Martin was the crew chief. Gil went on to win races as a cup crew chief. Uh, we had fast race cars, but we could not finish races to save our lives. And, and, um, that ended that relationship ended a lot of it because of that. And, and, uh, it was frustrating because it's like, I'm doing my job as a driver and we can't finish races, but somehow or another it's coming back on me. And I never understood that to this day. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but having said that, Phil Martossi was a, he was a really cool dude, fun to drive for, um, you know, he was the owner, he was a spotter, 
he loved racing and he decided he wanted to kind of run a cup race and they, I got wind of it and they were talking about maybe Joe Rutman driving it. Uh, I can't remember who else. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like if, <laughs> if I don't drive that car, that's going to, that could think about that. I'm driving their Xfinity car and they're going to run a cup race and I'm not going to drive it. Now, what does that look like? Right. Why would anybody else in the garage want me if the people I work for didn't want me? That was in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I went to Phil and I'm like, Phil, I, if we're going to run that race, I need to drive it. And he's like, well, I think we need an experienced guy. And I wore him out. <laughs> and ultimately he put, he, he decided to put me in it. We went up there and tested. It was a Roush car. We, we leased the car from Roush. He leased everything from Roush. We went up there to test. We were really fast at the test. Um, and we went up there and raced, qualified sixth. And Phil was a spotter, and I was a driver. And early in the race, Phil called me clear into turn one, and I didn't check to make sure I was clear, and I turned down and wrecked Kenny Schrader and myself. And that was the moment I realized there's only one driver in the car. Because when you turn down on somebody and you wreck them, and that spotter told you clear, whether you were clear or not, you're the only one to wreck them. Right. And, and I learned right then, there's only one spotter. There's only one driver. But it's a crazy Jeff Burton life. So the Hut Strickland got sick during the race. They took him out. He was driving for Junior Johnson. They came and got me. I was the first rookie they ever let substitute. Rookies couldn't be substitute drivers but they let me do it because I had more experience in that track than the people that were other people. Mm-hmm. And they, I ended up finishing the race for junior Johnson. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, and and we were, that thing was so fast. Like it was crazy how fast it was. And Mike Hill was the crew chief and, and uh junior, you know, after the race, he's like, you can't wear the boy. We ain't passed that many cars all year long. You know, <laughs> and it was like, well, yeah, that worked out. But, but, you know, that was just, that's my life, man. It's, it's, you, things are going downhill and then something turns around and, uh, just, just, just a crazy day. That, that kind of brings me to the next, because you, you jumped into the Stavol brothers car the next, uh, the next few years, didn't have as much success, I'm sure, because you didn't win a race as you, as you might've thought. And then Jack Roush starts a new team and pegs you as the driver. What was that experience like? Well, that was, you know, the, 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 the two years with the Volos, we, we, we had the success I thought we could have. I mean, okay. I, I mean, realistically, realistically, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, you know, they weren't the biggest team in the world and, um, you know, we won rookie rookie of the year and that rookie of the year class stacked. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, people in that rookie of the year class. And so we actually, I look back on those as a successful two years, mm-hmm. um, so the Jack Roush thing is crazy how it all happened. They actually, uh, actually called Ward and asked if he was interested in driving. And Ward already had a deal in place. And we were, we were, Ward and I were at, went to dinner and he's like, I had a, I had a call from some guy named Jeff Smith. He works for Jack Roush. I don't know what he does. And he was asking if, you know, they're talking about starting a new team. And he asked if, if I could drive, I told him I couldn't. I'm like, well, give me his number. <laughs> so, so I'm on the phone the next day with Jeff Smith. And a few days later, I'm in 
I'm in Detroit, Michigan, or, or you know, and and went to Livonia and met with Jack Roush, and they offered me a job. And um, so that was a crazy turn of events. And then Jack, um, probably the next 10 years was the, the most influential years in my professional life because Jack, uh, Jack hired me, he hired Buddy Parrott, and he let us do it. And he pitted us against Mark Martin, Ted, Ted Musgrave, he pitted us against those two teams. They were in they were in Liberty, North Carolina. We're in Mooresville, North Carolina, and and he didn't want us working together. Like he wanted us to be enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Did that and, fuel you guys? Like, was that g- a good thing to the competition? Well, well, it was bad and good. It it we had to earn. It made us earn it, but. What Jack did, he me he didn't know me from Adam, and he sat down with me and Buddy Parrott. I had definite opinions on what I wanted. Buddy had definite opinions on what he wanted, but Buddy let me do what I wanted to do, and Jack let me and Buddy both do what we wanted to do. We hired the people we wanted to hire. We built the cars we wanted to build. We built them how we wanted to build them, and it worked. And and I mean, we it worked. And the, I mean, we're, we're the first, we finished fifth at Daytona 500. We go to Richmond, lead the, but by far the majority of the race have a bad pit stop late and lose. We, I mean, we're rolling. We're, we're second in points going to the fourth race of the year, which is Atlanta. And after Atlanta, they start doing provisionals by this year's points. Well, we missed the race. Mm-hmm. We missed the race. We don't run. We don't qualify fast enough to get in. And Jack Roush, when all that goes down, he walks up to me and he says, I'm sorry. And I said, well, Jack, you got nothing to be sorry about. I Listen, I think I'm going to get fired, right? I mean, right. And he's like, he said, I didn't give you what you needed to be successful. And this man has given me everything I've asked for, right? Mm-hmm. And I learned right there, right then and there, what kind of person Jack Roush was. But, but I, those years with Jack, I mean, he taught me so much because he let me, he was willing to let me fail. He was willing to let me do things that ultimately he thought would work, but he knew there would be failure along the way. And as long as I was willing to accept that I had done something wrong, as long as I was willing to look at the big picture and say, oh, I could have done this better. He would continue to let me do it. And we went on and did all with some really cool things together. Uh, he let me run. He let me build, help design the chassis, which which actually won two two championships. I was heavily involved in design and build of those chassis. Um, and and unfortunately, I didn't win one of the championships, but but Mac and Kurt Busch did, and the cars that I helped design. I never and, knew that about you. That's crazy. Yeah. So it, so those ten years were were really really um, important for me, and they gave me a ton of confidence. And and the other experiences that I'd had prior to that, I learned that I no longer I wasn't going to stand by and let other people make decisions for my career. Right. And I was, it was my career. And although I might not get to make the final decision, I damn sure was going to have a voice. And if I disagreed, I was going to find a way to to because you know when you don't have a say and you don't have control and you don't have 
the, the ability to make decisions, guess what? It's your fault. <laughs> right. That's the craziest thing. So <laughs> of course. To heck with that. Give me give me the power. Give me the authority. Give me the and if I fail, fire my ass. <laughs> but don't fire me off of somebody else's decision. Right. Like, no. And I finally I said, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. I take control of this. <laughs> and that's what I've done with my life ever since. And I might rub some people wrong, but but if I'm gonna fail at something, it's gonna be on my terms. Yeah, you, you from the outside, uh, you know, watching you on TV and stuff, you, you don't give out that aura of of that like brashness or whatever. But you have this calmness with authority about you. Was it like that? The, the same thing as when you went to Childress Racing? Was it that same kind of atmosphere? Oh yeah, I mean by then, by then, you know, I had, you know, I had spent the nine ten years with Jack. And now I'm really confident. Now, granted, I'm leaving Jax because we're not running well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all need a different look. I feel like Jack needs a different look. You know, the negative to being involved in everything is at some point people get tired of you. Mm-hmm. And at some point, when you start not having some success, then they shut you completely out, right? That's the negative. But that's okay. And, and, but Richard needed, you know, he had lost Dale. Um, he needed, Richard didn't hire me to drive. He hired me to help with this company. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and he thought I could win races and, and all that stuff, but he hired me as much for coming in and trying to help get the program straightened up. And, and, uh, Richard was the same as Jack. Richard gave me a ton of authority and a ton of latitude and it took us a while it took us 18 months but you know the the i was i went there for a half of a year and then ran the whole next year and then that following year we hauled ass and and we took a butt whipping the year before but that following year we 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 were fast and then four years in a row we put all our cars in the playoffs and and uh, we didn't Clint didn't get in his first year. He was a rookie. He didn't get in. But with the exception of that, we put all of our cards in the playoffs for four years in a row. And and uh, they, that that is not what they were doing prior to that. Right. And I played a role in that. And that that that's the stuff I like. I mean, those are the kind of things that make me happy. <laughs> I we I've kept you a little longer than I wanted to. I've just got a couple more questions. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for for taking Labor Day out with us and, and hanging out. Um, I want to do a little mini question about each of these races that stuck out to me in in your career. And I wanted to start with that first win in Texas in 1997, the inaugural race at Texas. You and that. New, that newish team, you'd been around for like a year and a half, or just a little over a year, I guess. You win that race in 1997 at Texas. Well, prior to that, you know, Jack had told me that I was, I was, uh, I was like the dog in the neighborhood that chased the car, and I finally caught it, but I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, and and that's how we were. Like we had, we were building. I was really proud of how our cars were fast. And, but we were young and we did not have good pit stops and we did not make good decisions. And we acted, we, we acted like a young team. 
and we had a hell of a lot of fun, but we, but we, we made mistakes like a young team. And, um, to win that race relatively early in the year in a very, very difficult situation was, was a big deal because, you know, drivers and teams that have more experience than us, we did a better job of managing a very difficult day than they did. And then we went on and went two more races that year. So that was a, that was, that was a big deal. And it, it, it taught us that we could do it and it taught us we could do it in difficult situations. That race wasn't perfect, but you did run a perfect race in 2000 at Loudon. What was that like? Yeah. So that was, um, you know, what's crazy about leading all the laps at Loudon is if you go back and think about it, like why didn't somebody stay out and lead, you know, then you used to get 50, you get points for leading. And why didn't the guy running last corner lead lap stay out and lead a lap and get a point? Like nobody did that. And every pit stop we had, we, we, you know, executed every restart we had, we executed and, and let every lap. And, you know, a lot, that was, that was the restrictor play race, right? But what, and everybody says, well, that was because of restrictor plays. Well, what people don't realize is that it was about the same power as what an infinity car has today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't like 200 horsepower. Right. It was about what, yeah, it was about You weren't, in, you weren't in the throttle the whole time. No, Lord, no. And, <laughs> and honestly, the car didn't drive that different. Like that was, that was the advantage we had. We went to Milwaukee and tested. And I, I went there thinking this is going to be drastically different. And it wasn't. And we won Loudon pretty much the same setup we had when we won there before. Mm-hmm. And it, the only thing you did there, so everybody thought you could drive in the corner deeper and get in the gas sooner and all that kind of stuff. None of that was right. Like you had to be more precise than you did before. And, and everybody went up there with these preconceived notions. And that's why we won because we had gone and worked on it and learned that, look, this isn't that different. Like this, we got to get out of our head that this is completely different. And, and then Jack recognized how hard we were working on it. And he recognized that we saw it as an opportunity. He flew us a motor in Sunday morning. Like they were working on a motor, a plate motor to get as much power as they could. And they found some stuff Sunday morning. They flew a motor in. We rolled that thing in Sunday morning. <laughs> And, and so we worked at it and, and it wasn't that different. It really wasn't as different as you would imagine. And the reason we want to let everybody laugh was because we were better than everybody else. And they, you know, people say, well, you can't, you couldn't pass. Well, I laughed a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could, I if your car was good enough somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I laughed, they learned hard. I laughed, you know, I, mean, I laughed a lot of good cars, a lot of good drivers. Yeah. I didn't have problem passing. Yeah, I remember. I remember that race the, distinctly. Uh, your your crew, one of your crew guys, uh, t- tore the three hundred off the of one of the signs and and wrote "Let every let all 300. Did did they hang that up anywhere? No, I don't know. That had to be Rambo. No one, no one's Rambo. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that. But yeah, that um, sounds cool. Next, next one. Uh, we were talking about Darlington. Uh, you had the most uh, one of the most memorable Darlington finishes, and you didn't even make it the the whole race distance you hit the wall and it started raining remember i told you that's my life like like (laughs) we had gone to darlington and led so many laps like we were we were so fast year after year after year there's like a five-year period there that we were just so fast we couldn't win a damn race and 
I mean, we couldn't finish them off. We couldn't, we couldn't have the right pit stop. We couldn't have the right strategy. It just, we, we'd lead all the laps and not win. It's so frustrating. And then that day, we're sitting there leading. It starts pouring down raining. And there's a, you know, people start wrecking because there's, there's I mean, it just, just, you know, started pouring down rain and they didn't get the caution out quick enough. There's no way they could have. And they started wrecking in front of me. I saw it. I got on the brakes and the thing, I drove it straight in the wall. It had, there was no grip. And because the track was wet. And fortunately, it rained long enough to where they couldn't get it going again. And I kept, I drove that thing around a pace car, you know, with the right front. I mean, it would kill it. Yeah. I mean, I drove it around a pace car with sparks and fire. And I'm like, I, am, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to stop. Because you could see, like, it was a lot of rain. And I'm like, you know, we might not get this thing going. So, fortunately, we got around the racetrack. And uh, it, it, I'm surprised it got around the racetrack, to be honest, as tore up as it was. But I had it in first gear, and I was almost wide open in that thing, getting it to roll. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to stop. No, you jumped out. The, the, the broadcast got, the, got your rain dance on the uh, on the. <laughs> yeah. that was that was something else i mean i've never seen anything quite like it like the heavens opened up and you, you look so thankful <laughs> oh i was <laughs> i mean i'm sitting there thinking if we have long we have found another way to lose one of these rates you know and uh yeah so <laughs> i was very thankful oh <laughs> uh, the two two more uh 1997 southern 500 final lap you've got a fender on jeff gordon going into turn one he ends up winning a race can you go back in your mind and do anything differently there aside from maybe putting him in the wall? Oh yeah. I mean, listen, if I had to do it over again, I, I would do it differently. What was the, the set of circumstances there was that we had, once again, we're sitting there racing for the lead and have a bad pit stop come out. I want to say seventh, and Dale Jarrett and Jeff Gordon, whom I'd raced all day, you know, they're gone. And I finally get clear. Well, I run Dale down and get by him. And, you know, I get to Jeff and I am so much faster than they are. Like it was crazy how much faster we were. And I come off turn four and I drive underneath him and he puts a big block on me. And at the time I'm thinking, I don't want contact. Like if I have the best car, it's, it, you know, mm-hmm. and so I just, I lift and I'm going to roll in behind him and I'm just going to throttle up and go by him in the middle of one and two. What I didn't factor in was that Darlington has the dirtiest apron. It's crazy. All that, that sand. Yeah. And all I picked all, we were so low on the racetrack. Like I'd never been that low on the racetrack before. Never. You know what I mean? Unless I was avoiding a wreck or something. and. I didn't calculate that I was going to pick all that debris up on my tires. And so, you know, I lift and let him go and I get in the gas and my, and my mindset is, well, his corner, his angle is messed up. My angle is messed up. I'm going to run up. I'm going straight to the wall and I'm going to turn and get underneath him coming off too. And this thing never turned because uh. it had picked all that debris up. And I mean, it just, I could hear it hitting the fenders and I'm like, I'm done. And at that point, yeah, I, I like, okay, I've messed up and, and, uh, and I should have done something different. Now, I don't know. I don't know that I could have done anything different and win the race. I, cause if I had, I just drove in there and put myself in a position 
uh, like I needed to, mm-hmm. we probably both wreck and Dale Jarrett wins the race. Uh, but, but that was the, that was my whole mindset and why I responded the way I did. Gotcha. I mean, it, it's funny because it, you, you lifting there, like today in today's racing, I don't think you would see anybody lift, especially at today's Darlington, the way that they race and the way that they go into those corners. Right, so, today's Darlington, no question. Yeah. Today's Darlington, I wouldn't have lifted. Uh, but you know, we were, we were, we, we were taught and, and, our cars wouldn't allow you to run through there side by side. Like it was going to be a wreck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had, you know, all that experience and I, you know, you listen, it's not, you get to make these decisions. <laughs> you don't get to sit down and do, okay, let's play this thing. Yeah, out, it's right? A split second. Yeah. And some of it's personality. Yeah. Like when you watch, yeah. When you watch drivers that have to make split second decisions, some of that personality, it's, it, they make decisions based on, who they are and and you know right wrong or indifferent i was a driver that had a lot more success avoiding contact than i did mm-hmm. of, of, you know having it and and just knowing the situation i was in i thought i was way better off than you know because he was he was in trouble like i had him beat he mm-hmm. knew i had him beat and he had to do something spectacular and and he did and the credit goes to him he did what he had to do to win but but, um, you know, my decision was just based off of all the information that I had and the quick calculation that I had to make. I went to, I left that race. I left that race. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a bad deal after the race because Buddy Parrott, the whole last lap was telling me to wreck him, telling me to wreck him over the radio. Oh man. I never did, uh, obviously, but this is how different the world is. Right. NASCAR, NASCAR was going to suspend him for telling me to wreck him. Even though I didn't wreck him, they right. were going to suspend him. So we spent a fair amount of time in a NASCAR hauler after the race, getting Buddy out of trouble. And then uh, then we I leave there, and there's a Carolina Panther football game that night. And maybe it was an opening night or something. I don't know. It must have been. It must have been the first game of the year. And I walk up, literally walk up to the bleachers to go to sit in my seat. A buddy of mine was waiting for me. And that whole section was started cheering for me, <laughs> but but they were also they also were like you should have wrecked him, you should have wrecked him, you should have wrecked him. And the whole rest of the year, that's all I heard was you should have wrecked him, should have wrecked him, should have wrecked him. Year gets over, I think it's all done. Okay, we won't have to hear that anymore. And this is the truth. I, I go to Daytona first race of the year, pull up to the gate. Security guard been there forever. He says, "Hey Jeff, welcome back." You should have wrecked that son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> God, no, I still don't forget. It was months ago. <laughs> oh man, we. I still don't forget. I, I remember I was at a family reunion and I skipped out on lunch or whatever it was just so I could watch the ending that race. That's how big that was for for me as a race fan. Um, you talked about personality. Well, people forget. Yeah. People forget. People forget that that same year, Jeff Gordon and I ran side by side at Richmond. Mm-hmm. And I won. He had the bottom. I had the outside. I won the race. He could have moved me out of the way anytime he wanted to, and he didn't. So people forget that. You know, had I done what everybody wanted me to do at Darlington, I probably don't win Richmond. Right. Because he, he raced you ridiculously clean. That was, I believe, your first cup Richmond win. Um, that's, a, that's a hell of a segue into... Well, I want to talk about last is is we're coming into Richmond. It's the playoffs, and 
Richmond has been a, a, a great track for you, but it's also lately been kind of, you know, a, a long run type racetrack. But after we saw at Darlington, what do you expect heading into Richmond in the playoffs uh, come Saturday night? So Darlington's changed the game for Richmond. No, that sounds crazy, but just as many people have had trouble, the, the point battle is so close that it's a, it's a must-have for a lot of teams. And the one thing that's very clear to me is that the more pressure there are, there are on the teams, the more fun it is to watch. And um, they got to deliver. And, you know, you're right. This race has turned into this race has turned into a long-run race for some reason, but I just I don't see that saying the same. I just think that there's so many drivers that had bad nights, they got to recover. Um, they're going to have to push the issue. They can't wait. The next race is Bristol. You know, you know, you don't know what's going to happen at Bristol. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you got to, you got to make something happen this week or you go to Bristol. Have I mean, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be intense. I think it's going to be, it's going to be crazy intense. I love that racetrack. Um, it's an absolute, one of my favorite racetracks. Darlington's my favorite. Richmond's one of my favorites. Um, and I, I expect to see an old school Richmond race the same way we saw an old school Darlington race. Uh, I, I love the sound of that, sir. I, I, I will be in the stands. I'll probably be in the infield at some point uh, watching that, but I can't wait. Two more quick questions for you. Your son's racing for the Wood Brothers next year. What does that mean to you to have that Virginia connection and see him move up to cup? Well, listen, I, I to have an think about this. So the Wood Brothers have a really tight affiliation with with Penske, and so to have an opportunity for my son to drive for the Wood Brothers and Roger Penske is extraordinary. Um, I have so much respect for <laughs> what the Woods have done. You know, being a Virginia guy, they are legends. They are. Uh, Good, good people. Uh, you won't find anybody to say anything bad about the woods. And, you know, what an incredible opportunity. Um, and then Roger Penske is a worldwide icon. You know, he's a worldwide motorsports icon. And so for Harrison to be able to be surrounded by that caliber of people is an amazing journey. It's an amazing part of his journey. And I, I there's, listen, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's, he's 20, he's 20 years old and, um, limited practice. It's going to be some heavy lifting. Um, and there's so many unknowns with the new car. So from a practical standpoint, it's going to be a challenge. And, um, but what better people to do it with? Right. Right. And so, so I'm excited for him. I'm nervous for him the same way I was nervous for myself when I went cup racing. He's so young, but he's, he's older than that in racing years. Like sure. when I was, yeah, when I was, he has more racing experience than I did when I went cup racing. Uh, but he's six, seven years younger mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and the pressure is, is high. It's always been high. Um, the thing about Harrison is he's, um, 
he's he's just an easygoing guy. You know what I mean? He's um he's real intense when he's competing, but away from the track, he he can catch a he can catch his breath. He does a good job of separating, you know, racing from, you know, he doesn't let him. I didn't do a good job of that. He handles those things better, and he'll handle the pressure well. I'm not concerned about that, but it is going to be a challenge. We had him on the show last year, and and you could just tell his maturity. So, so for you as a dad, and for Kim as a mom, that whole family, you, you got to be so ridiculously proud of him. Good segue into my final question. We saw Chase Elliott race against his dad earlier this year in the SRX series. You said uh, in your interview with uh, Dale Jr. that you wanted to race one more year with Childress, but that didn't get to happen. I'm sure Tony or Ray could find you a seat if you wanted to next season. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, you know, my wife and I talk about this quite often, actually. Um, I, and, and neither one of us understand it. Like I have no desire to drive. Mm-hmm. Our life, our life was completely centered around, and this is terrible to say as a parent, but it was, you know, and as a husband, and as a as a son, as a brother, as a friend. The truth is, our life was centered around racing, and everything we did came second because for me to be successful, that's how it had to be. She knew it. She accepted it. My friends and family knew it and accepted it. But we had to be really selfish and and uh, self-centered and I don't want to say rude, but somewhat rude because I had to put everything else second. And I know that. For me to be successful, that's what I have to do. And I'm not in that place in my life now that I want to be that self-centered and that selfish i'd rather i'd rather not open that can back up Mm -hmm. and and so i don't i can't partially compete that's not how i work right if i'm going to do it it's going to be i heard mike tyson talking about this and was a joe rogan podcast and he was afraid to start working out again because he didn't want for that to come out. The, the bad Mike Tyson, he didn't want it to come out. He wanted to keep it in. And he was afraid if he started working out, he wouldn't be able to control it. Now that's more extreme than what I'm talking about, but it's the same thing. Like I, I'm over that. I work hard with mm-hmm. what I do with NBC, but to be the competitor that I would need to be, to be happy my entire life would have to change. Even if it was a part-time thing, that's not how I work. So when I stepped out of the car, I stepped out. And I have no desire to get back in because I can't get back in and not do it the only way I know to do it. And that is fanatical. Right. And it's just, I don't want to do that. I don't want to open that part of my life back up. Um, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not there. Well, Jeff, and that sounds crazy, even for one race. <laughs> like, I, you, like know, you can't turn the faucet me. on and off. No, Harrison was on me about running a late model race. You know, we had two cars. We could have done it. And I'm like, no. Oh, come on. It'll be fun. No, it won't. It won't be fun. 
because I, I'm sorry, I you won't like me, and and I didn't want to compete against. I competed against Ward for too long. I did not want to compete against my brother. I'm against my son. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, we if you ever change your mind, we will be there to watch it. And wherever it might be, uh, if it's in South Boston or anywhere else, but we can't thank you enough for, for taking your time out today to, to speak with us. I know our fans are going to love it. We love you here in the state of Virginia and we love everything you're doing on NBC. Uh, can't wait to watch, uh, you guys in the booth on uh, Saturday night. Uh, are you going to be calling Dale Jr. being in the car on, uh, on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon? I am. I am. That's going to be yep, great. He'll be in, yeah, he'll be in the car, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking to him at some point during the race. I think Brad Doherty, I can't remember, I think Brad Doherty's joining the booth this week. Cool. Um, yeah, he's fun, but he's fun, man. He's, he's a cool dude. We have a, we have a, that guy, he, people don't realize how far back in racing he goes. Yeah. So you get him, me, Dale Jr., Latart, uh, Kyle Petty, Dale Jarrett, Bench racing, that's that's a hell of a good time. That's the show. That's the show we need to do. It's so much fun. That that's fantastic, uh, Jeff. We uh, I love everything that you guys do at NBC on the broadcast. Uh, you bring it every single week. You brought it on the racetrack, and and everybody here loves you so much. So thanks thanks again, man. And we look forward to talking to you again uh, sometime real soon. Thank you, buddy. Good talking to you. Appreciate it. See ya. What a fantastic interview that was. We can't thank Jeff Burton enough once again for taking the time out of his day to join us to tell a few stories, relive some fantastic memories, and then look towards the future and Richmond Raceway's NASCAR playoffs weekend this weekend. I'm not even going to go into a Commonwealth closer because you already know what it's going to be. Come on out and see us at Richmond Raceway this weekend. Visit richmondraceway.com for tickets. All three shows still available, plus concert tickets for Cody Jinks at Virginia Credit Union Live. They're still available, too. I'm going to be out there as a race fan, and so should you. Check out Racing Virginia on all the social media platforms. We got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Racing Virginia on all of those. And also... Check us out on all your favorite podcasting platforms. No matter which one you listen to, we're going to be there. Apple, Google, Amazon, and my personal favorite, Spotify. Visit RacingVirginia.com for everything racing related in the state of Virginia. And also check out Randy Hallman's new column. It's a really, really good one. So even though he's not here, for Dave C., I'm Brandon Brown telling everyone out there, Keep racing, Virginia. Thanks for listening to the Racing Virginia Podcast. This has been a Speed Squad and Appletown Media Production. It's the